Hey, beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. There are so many people out there who haven't been empowered with the very basic knowledge. If menopause is part of the school PHSE curriculum, well, it only has been for the past three or four years, which means that teenage girls and boys know about it. Everyone else Mm. doesn't. Welcome back to another episode of the Menopause Coach Podcast. I have got a very special guest with me here today. We have Dr. Philippa Kay. Dr. Kay is a GP with a particular interest in children's health, women's health and sexual health. She's one of the UK's most well-known and trusted media medics, regularly broadcasting on radio and television shows like This Morning. So I'm sure many of you will already be very familiar with her and her expertise. She has a weekly column in Woman magazine, as well as contributing to many others. And her book, The M Word, Everything You Need to Know About the Menopause, is a complete one-stop guide. And it covers everything from understanding symptoms to managing those relationships and treatments that really work for you. So you have revisited the book. It was already original publication in 2020. And we now have a newly enhanced version for 2023, which I found to be written in such an uplifting and very positive way. So thank you for that. It was really a pleasantry to to be able to sit down with a menopause book that was actually a little bit of real quotes as well from a lot of women. Mm. And then also Mm. some sections now that you've added in, which again, we're finding out a lot more on menopause and cancer. You've added in a section on strength and weight, and you've also added in menopause and the brain, which is a huge, huge kind of piece at the moment that we're all eager to know more research on. Um, And then one of the the areas that we're going to dive in together today, so thank you for this, is about the less common menopause symptoms. So Dr. Philippa Kay, welcome to the Menopause Coach Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I absolutely loved reading your book. I sat down for the last fortnight and I've dived into it. There's sticky notes and post-its everywhere throughout the book with areas that have just went, that's an amazing way to say that, or this has been written really nice. And I found it to be quite a powerful feminist tone that ran throughout it, which is really something that I massively advocate myself is around that female empowerment and how we get to own this time and, you know, feel very vibrant. It's not something that we should feel that we're past it. And I think something you cover inside your book that really sparked something in me at the very start was within the first kind of 20 pages, really, you've got a quote in there and it's from the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England describing the UK economy as being menopausal. And that for me, as soon as I read it, I was just like, my God, seriously, (laughs) insinuating that we're past it, insinuating that actually, I think the quote from your book, it says, past their peak and no longer so potent. At the time when the deputy governor said that, I was writing the book. So the book came out in 2020, but you write a book in the year 18 months before that. And when he said that, I thought that really encompasses why one of the reasons why I'm writing it. And I started to write that book 
based solely on need, the needs of the women walking through my door who thought they had dementia, were giving up driving, giving up their jobs, um, giving up the idea of ever having sex again, and didn't understand that it might be related to the perimenopause and menopause. And that's why I started writing the book. And to me, what's as interesting as the medicine, and I love the science and I love the medicine because that's who I am, but it's sort of all the social anthropology around it, the cultural bit around that. And that's what that quote really sort of dug into, this idea about what womanhood is and what womanhood is as you get older. Um, and we are not fighting 100 years worth of opinion. We are fighting millennia of opinion that women are worthy only in relation to what they look like and their ability to bear children. Yeah. And that might be how it was when we were in caves, but that's not <laughs> how it is now. And the fact that he used that word to mean something so negative um, to me was really powerful. And yes, he apologized, but whether or not he apologized sort of doesn't matter because mm -hmm. it was really about how that, that's how society views women as they get older, stagnant, past their best, and what's the blooming point anymore? And I thought, I have absolutely no desire to live what essentially will probably be one third of my life. And at the time, I actually hadn't gone into a premature menopause, which I then went into related to my cancer treatment. But at the time, I thought, I am not living a third of my life being considered past it because mm -hmm. I don't won't feel past it and the women I know at that stage in their life most definitely aren't past anything and that they have such value and wisdom yes. um, and so we have to change that message because you're not past anything and that's why I think that that we are beginning to talk about these things but there is still a really, really long way to go. And as somebody who sort of lives in the menopause space, it might feel like that's all we're talking about. But actually, mm -hmm. having travelled up and down the country with the This Morning Menopause bus and in the various other work that I do, and meeting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women, and more often not, the first question is, how would I know if I've gone through the menopause? You think, well, actually... There are so many people out there who haven't been empowered with the very basic knowledge. And if menopause is part of sort of the school PHSE curriculum, well, it only has been for the past three or four years, which means that teenage girls and boys know about it. Everyone mm. else doesn't. And in particular groups of society, which are often harder to reach, there is still a huge amount, in fact, not even just in those groups, just in everyone, mm -hmm. a huge amount of stigma and shame related to women's health, women getting older, women as sexual beings, women uh, having sexual mm -hmm. pleasure. And all of that takes a long, long time to break through. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I know. And, you know, we are literally on the same objective trajectory to make this more mainstream, to ma make sure that women actually don't fear this stage. As you bring up awareness and as more people share their stories, you will often get both extremes. You'll mm -hmm. get the people that had a really, really terrible time and the people who say, well, I was fine, what you're talking about. Yes. And most people who were just sort of struggling but getting by don't respond to that kind of thing. It's like TripAdvisor. You're right if you need to, <laughs> but not if it was just all right. And we know that a quarter of women won't have any symptoms at all, which means that three quarters will. And of those, one in 10 will have severe enough symptoms that they will think about suicide. 
so there is a huge spectrum of conversation. And so when people do share their stories, there will often be a voice saying, you're scaremongering. You're just terrifying everybody. And I always say, we're not aiming to terrify anybody. We're aiming to empower people. Mm-hmm. That if you know that this might happen to you, then you look out for it in order to get help with it. If you don't get it, then marvellous. If you Mm -hmm. don't have a headache, you don't take a painkiller, you know, or you don't think, why have I got a headache in the first place? But if you don't know, then all you feel is scared and alone. And actually, it's the not knowing which is more scary than the knowing. A hundred percent. It's such an empowering piece to get into and just... Even to have, you know, you know, I celebrate the fact that we have so much social media because, again, this can come out where we have the camp that don't appreciate the shares across the social platforms. But equally, then these types of episodes would never reach the public domain. Women would never be able to access this information for free, you know, to be able to learn. And that's exactly where I celebrate it. Yeah, there's good and bad for all, all kinds of media, including social media. But I really find that social media can be very connecting and that different people access information in different ways. And if you were the chief medical officer of the UK in the coronavirus pandemic, you would not just put out a daily news bulletin. You would try and access, as they did, and rightly so, all forms of print media, digital media, and social media, because mm. you need to access all the people to yes. tell them about vaccines or about masks or whatever it was, but you need to think broadly about how you're going to access people. And the mm-hmm. same is true about women's health. Now, women traditionally have a better relationship with their GPs than men do because they're simply there more. So it might mm. be for contraception and it might be that they then get pregnant and it might be mm. that they have children and they're bringing in the children, blah, 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 blah. But then it clamps down um, because when I bring up certain subjects, so if you come into me with hot flushes, I might list a whole bunch of other symptoms because if I bring them up, it makes them easier for you to bring up. Mm-hmm. And often people say to me, I never would have mentioned libido or I never would have mentioned painful sex had you not. Yes. So need to keep talking about all of these areas so that people feel empowered to talk about them themselves and ask for help when they need it. But also because we can do hard things. It's just harder to do them when we feel like we're the only person doing them. And so the media brings people together so they don't feel like they're the only people doing it. That's it. And I love it for that reason. And actually, you've just touched upon a couple of the more common symptoms that we associate with menopause, which, you know, you talked there about um, hot flushes. Um, We know those as the vasomotor symptoms of flushing through the day or sweating through the evening. And then obviously vaginal, that was one of my biggest challenges. And I openly talk about that on the podcast. There's many episodes where I've gone into detail around what it was that really helped me appreciate that in my early 30s, my own hormones were not quite feeling great. And by 35, I knew that it was perimenopause, but it took until I was 37 to have that confirmed properly through many different avenues and checks, which we give gratitude for because they all came back very fit and healthy, but didn't explain the symptoms. So we touched upon the more common ones. I wonder if we might then start to look at what are the lesser commonly known symptoms of the menopause? 
technically, people will say that there are 39 defined symptoms of the menopause. But actually, the more that you look into it and the more research that's done, other people will say 50, some people will say 100, and there might be overlap between them. Um, and we are still finding out. We are still finding out about the impact of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone from the skin on your head to the skin on your feet. Whilst those symptoms can be very broad, we also have to be careful of not assuming that every symptom that you have is related to the perimenopause and menopause and that you don't get something else checked out. So as we said, common ones, vasomotor symptoms of flushes and sweats being probably the most common symptom, um, but joint pains, palpitations, dry, itchy skin, insomnia, loss of libido, vaginal dryness, depression, anxiety, all of those things are, are, are actually quite common. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the less common ones that we um, sometimes talk about include things like cold flushes, not hot flushes. Mm. So instead of coming over all hot and going red in the face and sweating, you come over freezing. Um, and the reason that that happens is the same as why you get hot flushes, which is that estrogen is involved in the thermoregulatory center of the brain. And um, so your brain would like to go, I'm on fire, I'm freezing, I'm on fire, I'm freezing. Um, every time you move rooms and, you know, you move within a micro um, amount of change in temperature, then estrogen says, no, you're not, we're okay. You're okay, you're not on fire, and no, you're not freezing. Mm -hmm. And when you lose that estrogen, you respond to these very, very small, less than 0.2 changes of a degree Celsius. And so for some people, they'll get very cold. And that might mean actually that they don't sleep very well at night. And other symptoms can be things like electric shock sensation. So it literally feels like an electric shock through your skin or a rubber band snapping on your skin. Or formication, which is the sensation of like crawling insects under your skin, this sort of weird sensation like that. Or restless leg syndrome, which is this unbearable need to move your legs, often at night, mm -hmm. um, and can make sleeping difficult. And another one that people sometimes are really embarrassed to bring up is things like changes in body odour. That mm. they say, I smell different, or I smell much worse, or my deodorant isn't working, and they haven't changed it. What's going on? And yes, you might be sweating more because you're mm. having sweats or flushes, but also how estrogen affects the bacteria in our skin because sweat itself doesn't smell. It's about how sweat interacts with the bacteria in our skin that then that then causes a problem. And then whole areas which I think that we're really just beginning to touch on which I would say things like menopause in the mouth and menopause and the gut and the gut microbiome yes that's a big one actually there's so many women that I support through many different avenues that will say I've got IBS and when actually we start to dive into this because I'm a, an evidence-based nutritionist we start to look at it, actually, there's not been a formal diagnosis of IBS. It's kind of through self-diagnosis of, I just feel hellish whenever I eat certain foods. Mm. You know, things have changed, I'm bloated, I've got flatulence, I've got pain. And it can be sometimes a mixture between IBS with constipation or IBS with diarrhea. So it's, it's not a hoot of any manner. So I think menopause in the mouth and the gut. So the gut starts at the mouth and it ends at the anus. Um, people often think of it about it just as their tummy, but from a medical perspective, it's mouth to anus. And people will often think about their mouths in relation to their periods and pregnancy, in that they might have noticed that they have more bleeding gums during um, mm. pregnancy or when they were just about to come on their period. Um, and so it's very clear that estrogen affects the mouth. But after the menopause, how people will get a metallic taste sometimes, they'll get a very dry mouth. 
And that dry mouth has such an impact on your dental health because saliva has lots of purposes, but it actually means that you're actually at more risk of tooth decay and your teeth falling out. Um, and that actually then has an impact on the rest of your health. Mm -hmm. So your oral health is really important. Um, or they describe something called burning mouth syndrome. They feel like their mouth is on fire the whole time. Mm -hmm. And as a GP, if you come to me and you say, there's something wrong with my mouth, then I will have a look. And if I don't think that you've got an oral cancer, I'm sending you to the dentist. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know very much about teeth because I wasn't taught very much about teeth. And the dentist will have a look from a dental perspective. But actually, what we need is both of us connecting the dots together. Yes. To yes. Actually, this is that your mouth is a reflection on the rest of your body. That's why the dentist asks you about your general health when you go and see them. Um, but I think that we definitely need more work into into connecting those those dots together. And then when it comes to the gut, we talk a lot about the gut microbiome and the good bacteria that live inside our tummies and how that impacts on our brain health and on our general health. But that gut microbiome is both affected by and affect the hormones of your body and we call it the estroblome so it's the part of the biome that responds to estrogen so as we have less estrogen in our bodies there will be a change and often people will report IBS like symptoms um, or they might notice new allergies Mm. or intolerances or something like that. Um, and often people will self-diagnose with IBS because we don't have a test for it, but we still need to exclude yeah. other things. And I think yes. that's really important that we exclude those other things. And if you have a change in bowel habit, be that to diarrhea or constipation or pain for more than three weeks, you absolutely have to get that checked out because that could signify something that is more serious. But having those symptoms can be really impactful on your life and your activities of daily living and that doesn't mean that there isn't anything that can be done there are lots of things that can be done from lifestyle all the way through to medication you know and hormonal treatment um, but we definitely need much more research into this kind of area and what else is going on so if we know that estrogen affects your brain and if we know that estrogen affects your cardiovascular system and if we know that it affects your ability to lay down muscle and your musculoskeletal mm -hmm. system, well, of course, it's affecting your, mm -hmm. your gut. Of course, it's affecting your genitourinary syndrome. We know the uh, system. We know that. But we are still at the point where we need to do more work mm -hmm. on the what is happening and why before we get even to the treatment bit. And often I'm asked, I've been up to Parliament a few times with menopause mandate and we've been campaigning and people say, you know, why isn't change happening? And <laughs> why can't I get testosterone straight away? And we should all be having um, HRT solely for disease prevention and blah, blah, blah. And I say, mm -hmm. well, we're a long way from that because in order to change something, you need to recognize that there is a need for change. Mm -hmm. And when you recognize that there is a need you can then do the research that mm -hmm. tries to find out about that need and what might make that need better. We're still at the point of recognizing that there's a need. Yeah, which That's is really sad, point. actually, isn't it? It's quite a it's quite a heart wrenching statement to make that we're still at the point of needing that clarity and that confirmation that there is a need for research into this, given that every woman, we don't get to, to just decide that we skip it. Every female with a female reproductive system 
at birth will go through this. These things take time. But Mm. if you want, for example, NICE, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, to change the guidance, they don't change the guidance until there's the research. And the research takes time and it needs funding. Um, And so these things will take time and we are making huge strides and we are learning a lot but it takes a long time to put the genie back in the bottle or whatever it is you know yes things do take time and, and I think that that these sort of grassroots communities and women sharing their experience is really helpful on all levels not just on the level of us helping each other but us helping mm-hmm. show um people who want to do research or whatever that there is a need. I love that. And I think even as a mum, I've got uh, twin 12-year-old girls. You know, we're just going through the whole starting puberty phase of periods. Mum's going through early perimenopause, so my poor husband. But we openly talk about this on how my girls are in a very, very fortunate position that they kind of live and breathe with their mum in the menopause space. So they understand about the hormones and how it impacts and affects. But um, the the whole concept of this being rolled out into our higher education schools, mm. I'm based in Scotland. We do have that across England, but we don't actually have it confirmed in the curriculum across Scotland and Ireland. I'm not too sure about Wales. I can't I can't comment on that. Scotland was was sort of further on with period poverty and you know it's, it's yes right it's ironic different people uh, and different governments move about different things and and in Scotland you can get your HRT um, you know in the prescription yeah. different, um, than I know are. I know it's a it's a bewilderment yes and you know to avoid a postcode lottery in the UK would really be nice when it comes to menopause care and treatment yeah. and I think it's important actually that we talk about this to people of all genders, not mm. just girls or people who identify as female, because everybody has a sister, a mother, a work colleague, a partner, knows someone walking down the street yeah. who is going to go through a menopause. Um, and therefore, that is really important that everybody knows. So, for example, often women will come to me and they'll say, I found a lump. And I say, when did you find the lump? And they're talking about in their breasts. And they say, no, I didn't find it. My partner found it. My partner noticed it. I didn't notice it. Yes. And often when it comes to psychological symptoms or mental health symptoms and other things, often it's really difficult to see when we're in the inside, mm. that we lose insight because yeah. we just know all the time. And when I say, but when did your flushes start? Or when did your headaches start? Or when did you notice that your mood was changing? And they don't know. Mm-hmm. But their partners do. Mm-hmm. And so they're, important. they're observing them from the outside. And so they can see a difference, but they also therefore need to know what that difference might be down to and yes. how to then get help about it. So I don't think this is a conversation that is just for um, girls and women. I think this is a conversation that is for everybody and really importantly for everybody because it is the silence mm-hmm. which is harmful. I agree with you 100%. We've actually been linked in and doing a bit of work with the men's mental health charity, um, Andy's Man Club. And this has been something that um, within the the kind of Scotland base at the moment, they reached out on the back of um, a few episodes that really helped a lot of the men in their community. So we've been doing a bit of support with them in the background. And I think what's really coming out from all of this is exactly what you've said. This is not just a woman's thing. This is an everybody 
This is a human thing. And I would actually say that, I mean, when I go into schools and I deliver talks and I, I always, yes, I think it's important that, that you have, people have the opportunity to talk um, within their own um, groups, but also that whatever gender you are, you learn about others. So I always make sure that the boys learn about periods and that the girls learn, learn about prostates because... Yeah. They're the ones whose, at some point, partners start waking up four times in the night and they're the ones who make them go to the doctor. So mm-hmm. we all we all need to know um, about each other. And I think that that's really important. And the only way that we can do that is by shouting at the moment. And so people, <laughs> when they talk about that menopause campaign space and they talk about the fact that it seems to be everywhere, and that's because when you're at this point, you, you have to shout in order to be heard and Mm -hmm. so it takes a while for that pendulum to hit the right place from silence to 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 making a lot of noise being common knowledge and part of life um and that that as i said i think it takes time agreed yeah and these things can't be rushed right there's nothing we can do to rush it other than for each of us to step into this space and keep that noise going what we actually need to do is, is work out the reasons why people are uncomfortable, why people are uncomfortable using names for female genitals and all of this stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to just forcing somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to educate so that people know what they're called if they need to. But if you say to me, that makes me feel really uncomfortable, I'm not going to make you say anything. Yeah, um, choice. Different people will have different levels of what they're comfortable with but the more that we talk about issues which um some people may find difficult the more that they're talked about in the common spaces and the easier it will become it will become be that women's health or mental health or how the two link or you know all of those things um and that we need to hear from different people across different groups in order that people see that this conversation is for everybody Yes, brilliant. Really well said. I love it. I love it. So with your book then, coming back into this, um, there are a few new sections that you've included in here. Do you want to maybe cover off why these elements now of the book were so important for you to get inside this revised version? So as I said, although it's three years since the last book was out, it's probably four and a half years since I started writing it and the menopause space changed a lot, right? Massively, yes. <laughs> Thankfully. When I went to write the first one and when you write a book proposal, you're asked what's the competition and the competition was only about um, natural approaches or, or lifestyle, diet, lots of recipe books um, mm-hmm. and there was nothing that was about evidence-based medicine and evidence-based medicine includes lifestyle too. Massively. Um, and so there was nothing out there at the time. And now that's not the case. Now there's loads and loads of things out there. So the first book was um, a, it talked about everything from symptoms to why it happens, premature menopause, treatments, et cetera, et cetera. But with this one, um, and I'm really grateful to the publishers because although it's about 20, 25% bigger, they just made the print a bit smaller. So it's the same price. Um, so although it's fatter, it, it's more information in there. It doesn't cost you any more. Um, is that I wanted to talk about those less common symptoms. Also include a symptom tracker. A symptom tracker is really useful because mm. HRT is not the same as paracetamol. 
It's not mm-hmm. that and your headache might get better. Yes. It's take your unique and your individual prescription might need to be unique and we might need to tweak a bit here and maybe that'll be okay for two or three years, but then you've progressed from perimenopause into menopause and maybe you might need something else. And then a few years later, you know, things change. Yeah. Um, a symptom tracker is useful. Um, and it's also useful because whilst you know you have a headache, when your headache stops, you stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able, and then when I say, but you know, what got better? And you're like, well, I feel better. And I say, what about your headaches? Oh yeah, they've gone. I can't remember when or when I had the last one. So to being able to track is really useful for both you, but also for us as doctors. And we know that it's difficult to get hold of us and that there aren't enough of us and that your appointment time is precious. Um, And so something like a tracker helps both of us together. Um, I also really wanted to include um, an update about that political situation, about what to do if there's a shortage. There are still HRT shortages. There's still, I mean, literally, I don't know when you're putting this out. It's January now and Estradot have said we're going out of stock for, for a few weeks. I think it's March that they're estimating that they'll have the majority back. They've only got the 37 and a half in stock. Yeah. Um, and there's issues getting down and various other things. You know, mm-hmm. shortages are still an issue. So what to do if there's a shortage and how to manage that? And I thought that was hugely important because the anxiety that it that it brings yes. is, is really significant. Um, and then every question that I have been asked since the first one came out. So mm-hmm. having since the first one came out, um, talked about my own cancer experience, having mm-hmm. been through premature menopause, I really wanted to put in something about menopause and cancer um, and about living with a premature menopause. And that when I prescribe things, you write amoxicillin three, three times a day, one tablet three times a day. Yeah. And then people will come back and they'll say, before food or after food? Doesn't matter if I drink, you know, uh, can I drink alcohol? And they've got a whole load of other questions. Mm -hmm. And that's still true when it comes to HRT. And answering those very practical questions, can I wear sun cream? How long afterwards can I give my Mm -hmm. kids a travel? What happens if the patch begins to peel off? How do I actually pull up Androfem? All of those really practical things um, I've put in the book because there's no point in you having it if you're not using it properly. (laughs) There's no point in you having it if you're not, if we're sort of worried about it and not managing it in the best way. So Mm -hmm. all of those really practical things. Um, And I think that in that way, it sort of differs to a lot of the books out there. So a lot of the books out there are wonderful. And there's a lot of sort of personal experience in them, which is hugely valuable. Mm -hmm. Some people want to be told, I'm on this, now what? What can I do? What can I try? How can I empower myself? And I'm a very practical doctor. um, And my job is to translate medicalese into English. And that's what I think the book does. Very well. Yes, it does. Very much so. So I managed to get through this over the course of that two-week period, just really enjoying it not feeling forced to read it because we were having this conversation. I wanted to read it. And it actually really, it really pulled me in on just how easy to understand some of these really complex situations really is inside the book. So I would absolutely recommend it to anybody listening to this. In the last part of the book, I included Mm. a story which I left out of the first one and regretted. Um, Mm. At the time I had looked it up and then over the years I'd forgotten what it was and I couldn't remember what kind of an insect it was, but it's a story about a menopausal aphid, which is a Uh kind of insect. And insects don't 
bleed. They don't have periods like we do, but actually um, they have a post-reproductive phase in their lives. And we are quite rare as humans that we do that. You know, there's a couple of whales that do it. Like elephants don't do it. And even chimpanzees don't do it. Um, and we're really closely related to chimpanzees. Um, but this aphid does. And this aphid, when the community is under attack by a ladybird or something, sends out its postmenopausal females. And these postmenopausal females defend the colony um, and they die in the process of doing so. And when I first read this, in, in, and I'd read it along when I was researching why does the menopause happen and you know where is it in the in the animal world. Yeah. Um, and I read it and I thought, you know what? A hundred years ago, they would have interpreted it as that they send out those menopausal aphids because they're not worth anything, because they have no value. So mm -hmm. they can die in defense of the colony because it doesn't matter. And I thought, but now actually we're changing that narrative because now the narrative would be, and I get that I'm anthropomorphizing and that I'm putting human feelings on aphids. <laughs> but now we can change that story to say, they're not sending out those who are worthless and who are past their best and have no value. They're sending out their wisest and their strongest. Mm -hmm. And those who have been through that reproductive phase, whether or not they've had children, but because they're best able to defend their colony, not mm -hmm. because they're worthless. Yeah. And yes, the outcome doesn't change, mm -hmm. but the mindset behind it potentially does and that's what I think that we are doing in the menopause community. That we are changing that mindset to help women understand their value, their strength and their worth throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's all what I hope that the M word does. I love that. Thank you so much. And it is such a story that when I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, this is probably one of the most powerful ways of explaining how we get to be the strength in menopause. Yeah, we get to step into our own true self where we've maybe for decades been putting others and children ahead of ourselves. We get to then reclaim us and understand yeah. who we are again. And it's our time for that vibrancy and that power in our life. So thank you so much for this. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being present and discussing all of this. It's just, I could literally talk about these things for hours, but I appreciate your life currency is of value as is my own. So I just want to say thank you for being here with us. I will put a link to your book onto the show notes. So if anyone listening to this wants to go check out the M word, then you can certainly do that in the show notes link below. But before we head off, Dr. Philippa Kate, thank you. Where can the listeners find you if they want to connect with you personally? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Dr. Philippa Kay. We will also pop that into the show notes so you can just click and access. Thank you so much for being here. You have been a marvellous guest. I know that everyone listening to this will have taken away some really vibrant nuggets of information. And I wish you all the best with your future endeavours in the menopause space. You are a power source Thanks in here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you. See you soon. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing. To help keep these episodes coming, please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. 
because together we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So together, let's make menopause mainstream.